We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode 61 to be exact. And I'm your co-host, Alexander Gongirizik. I'm joined by Samuel Rowan. And before we dive into the happenings of a busy, busy Whitecaps weekend, I mean, Sam, how are you doing this weekend? Well, that's it. It's over. Regular season's done. Uh, it took forever to come together, obviously. It's uh it's been a wild one, but uh, weekend's been good. There's like a foot and a half of, no, maybe maybe it's only a foot of snow on the ground up here in Whistler, BC, so uh, ski season can't start soon enough for myself, and uh, man, Whitecaps, you know, Mark DeSantos talked about that ninth win and how important it was to them, and they go out and get it done. I mean, LA Galaxy looked like they were out to lunch. They were their minds were on the beach already. You know, they they booked some holidays. I don't know what where their heads were, but uh, it was a bit of a, a bit of a weird dead rubber match. But full credit to the Whitecaps for the the three nil victory. Another victory against ten men, which is something we can maybe get into. But uh, I'm I'm really excited. Oddly enough, the fact that the season is over has me kind of amped up because I think there's lots of fun stuff we can do in the off season. The offseason is always a, a time of hope and opportunity. Not all that comes to fruition, but the, the possibilities are endless, and, and that's kind of fun. So uh, looking forward to getting into a bunch of that here on the show. And, uh, yeah, welcome back, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, excited to get into it. Well, I mean, I guess if there's a year to miss that on the playoffs, this is the one, even though, like, 18 teams made the playoffs just reading some of the storylines heading in the playoffs, like looking at the Montreal impact, they're missing two of their best midfielders heading into their playoff game through international break. Like I'm looking, there's so many absent players from international breaks that might not play in the first round of the playoffs. I can already imagine the outcry from some people when teams get eliminated. Oh, there was players missing in this and that. And like, I'm already just feeling a, a, a colossal, you know, just mess of things to happen in the playoffs. I think the quality of play is going to be good. I think the cream is going to rise to the crop, but I'm already feeling a, it's just not going to be an ideal playoffs. I think just the way the expanded format, how there's 10 teams in the East or whatever. I think it is. It's yeah. It's 10 in the East. Like eight yeah, there's, in the West. there's two, pl- two play in matches, two play in matches. And then it, it, I don't know. It, it's the playoffs. They're going to be fun. I will be following along, but I mean, I guess if there's a year for the Whitecaps to miss out, they probably they probably picked the right year. I mean, we were looking at the table. The fact that Inter-Miami got into the playoffs with 24 points in 23 games. And the Whitecaps, a team that, you know, most people in Vancouver can honestly say weren't very good for most of the season. They still finished with 27 points in 23 games. Like, if, if Inter-Miami is making the playoffs at this point, like, you should just put all 26 teams in the playoffs and see what happens. But... Alas, it is what it is. The playoffs are, are gone, maybe for the Whitecaps, as I said last week. I think that's a good thing. I, I think I've come around to it as, as Sam has slowly persuaded me along here. But it's, it's all going to be about what they do with this time because 
it's it's crucial now. They got they gotta hit on their recruitment. Frankly, I think I don't think you can look at some of their holes in their roster and not address them, but also they don't have that many holes to fill. You look at their roster, you could get away with reasonably three or four minor changes. Well, maybe three or four changes, one of them being the big DP that you have still to sign and you'll be all right. And that's without mentioning the young DP spots, the whatever happens with Ali Adnan. So they're, they're, it's a potential for an exciting off season. What's great is that you don't look at their off season and be like, okay, they have to, over you know they don't have to overturn so much they don't have to do this and that i mean they won they won nine games this year that bests their 2019 total in 11 less games you know that's that's the positive stat i mean the lack of draws is a worry but i feel like that's a little more addressable than let's say winning winning is hard to do whereas last year they tied a lot of games because they frankly weren't good enough to to get past the ties and into wins so the fact that they're winning games is is, is a positive step is, is a positive step now they just need to kind of find the guys they need to take that next step and hopefully uh in the offseason axel schuster mark DeSantos work together they make sure to kind of get some of those square pegs out and find the, the round pegs they need for the round holes that they that they have and you know just kind of build a more cohesive unit and hopefully uh mark DeSantos will get a, a full chance to put his plan together and we can finally see what he's, you know, what he's made of as a head coach, what he can do with the with the roster that's made to his uh, specifications a little more than, let's say, the last two were, even though he did have a hand in building them. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic, obviously, we're going to probably discuss for hours over the course of this offseason. But it, it's kind of interesting in the sense that it feels like the Whitecaps have done their, or are doing their roster construction a little bit backwards in the sense that a lot of really good complementary pieces are in place, but it feels like the linchpin, the key piece or two is still missing. And so, you know, usually it, it seems like it would be easier to get those key players and then build the rest of the team around them. In this case, you've got a lot of good complementary pieces, and then you have to try to find the key player, you know, the number 10 or the box-to-box midfielder to fit into the group you already have so it's a it's an incredibly tall task both Axel Schuster and Mark DeSantos certainly talking the talk in terms of understanding how important that is the question is during COVID you know the the transfer market is is different it's a it's an unprecedented time how do they adapt and adjust to everything that's going on and make a good business deal as well as a good soccer deal and only time will tell. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole season lines up and whether or not we, I don't know, is it is it confirmed that the MLS is planning on starting at a normal time in 2021 or is, is that something that's still malleable? I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, you know, it's it, like a lot of things this year, it's going to be a kind of wait and see and, and adjust as you go along. But I'm, a, I'm excited for the developments we may or may not have this off season. And there's uh there's going to be plenty of reaction to it. I'm sure no matter what the outcome is. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with the season next year. I do think you'll start on time at the very least, maybe, maybe March or April, but at the very least they have a bit of a more, they have more of an idea of how, you know, if the virus continues to persist as it has, they have an idea of how to, you know, still get games off and for the most part, keep cases low and keep outbreaks minimum. And they can even always improve the protocol too. I think, I think what we've seen in Europe and in all around the world is that 
you kind of just have to deal with the virus, have protocols so that if teams get outbreaks, you can still persist. You can still go through. You don't have to, you know, you avoid Colorado rapid situations for the most part. I mean, you see it in Europe. Some teams have had outbreaks, but they've avoided spreading it or it's just one, one or two players at a time, just managing the protocols and then seeing what happens. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the U S now with the new president in place. I mean, possibly, based on what Joe Biden ends up doing for the U.S.'s COVID plan and his relationship with Justin Trudeau, it's very possible the borders could open a lot sooner than people thought, which, or at least, you know, borders for sports teams, a plan could be worked out a lot more, a lot sooner than you previously would have thought under the old U.S. regime. So that that could be good news for sports like, you know, the NHL or NBA or MLB or MLS, where there's Canadian teams participating in mostly what is American dominated leagues. So, I mean, that could be good news for MLS next year. So obviously there's a lot of moving parts with all that, but at the very least, I think they've given themselves a good template of how to proceed and knowing what to fix ahead of whatever they end up doing next year. Yeah. I mean, uh, congrats to United States for, for doing what, you know, what seemed like the inevitable to a lot of Canadians, but, but obviously it's, it, you know, it's not something that Americans take lightly, um, not reelecting a president for a second term. Like I can't be understated how, how major of a, of a move that is. And so, you know, I know a lot of our U S friends at least are happy. Not obviously not everyone is, but, uh, you know, from our perspective, good to see, but before we entirely gloss over, I mean, it's quite easy to gloss over this three nil win for the white caps, but Alex, I mean, the front three of Cavallini, Montero, and Dahomey look strong again. LA, I already kind of said it, you know, it, it felt like they'd kind of checked out. But my question for you is, do you take anything away from this match? Is it worth putting any evaluation into it as we go on to next season? Or is it is it truly a dead rubber affair that you, you don't put any stock in? I mean, what, else, what did we learn that we didn't already know? Like, Cavallini, Dahomey, and Montero have great chemistry, and when they're on there, they cause problems for defenses, no matter how good or bad the defenses well, are. Well, and they, they expose poor teams, I think. I th- we've seen them be really dynamic against RSL, and we've seen them be good against LA Galaxy. Like, that when teams are a little bit vulnerable. They also good game against LAFC as well. But it, was, it was a, wasn't a, a full-strength side, right? Well, yeah, well, LAFC does have a vulnerable defense. But True. even then, I feel like... If you're looking at Montero, Dahomey, and Cavallini ever since they've kind of become a trio, I'd like to say it was after, it would probably be after that Montreal game. It was kind of, because Milinkovic, he played against RSL, and then he played maybe one or two after that, and he was pretty much done after. So most for most of the games since then, it's been that front three. And I mean, for the most part, they haven't struggled to generate chances, really. It feels more like when they struggled, the whole team struggled kind of, kind of thing. So, I mean, I think we know what's ca- what they're capable of. It's just, can you fit them? Is that front three reasonable to fit into a side? I mean, I don't know. I don't think, I personally think if you're the white caps, you're building your best team. Unfortunately, sometimes to make your best team, you have to drop some of your best players. And unfortunately, I look at a puzzle of Dahomey, Cavallini and Montero. Someone, one of them is going to have to drop. Either you drop a Dahomey and you go with two natural strikers, you play like a four, three, one, two, like a, you know, middle heavy lineup, or you drop a Montero and you go Cavallini to home in a natural winger and you play a four, three, three. That's just the unfortunate reality of, of what, what, you know, the, the, the whole tactical situation presents. But 
I think we know they're good together. We know what they can do. We saw that again. We know what they're capable of. I think the back four, back five, it was good for them to to keep a clean sheet for the first time in 17 games, especially for Evan Bush, because he's been lights out. And honestly, he was undone by some just really unfortunate mistakes in front of him every game that would cost him a clean sheet. And you have to feel good for the guy. First clean sheet for him in over a year and three months after everything he'd been through with Montreal and this year, it was, it was nice to see. And I mean, it was good for the back four just to keep a clean sheet, you know, Ali Adnan, Jake Norwinski, Derek, I mean, not Derek Cornelius. I wish Derek Cornelius played, but Renko Veselinovic and Eric Godoy, they'd played a lot of games together. They had good games. They just never kept the clean sheet. So that was positive to see. And it, it was positive signs. It was just maybe the midfield was a bit quiet, but I thought Daniel Bikel was immense. Russell Tybert, he did have an assist on the, the first goal and he, he was, he had his moments, but maybe the midfield was a bit quiet. But then again, if you look at the team next year, what are the problems? You don't really see major problems up front or at the back. You see problems in the midfield. So I think that, that just kind of, it tells you what, you know, it really confirmed a lot of what you thought about this team. And I mean, it shows what they can do when they're rolling and it, it, it only, it shows, but at the same time, it shows where they need to upgrade. I'm glad that you brought up Evan Bush because it may very well have been his last match in a white cap shirt or maybe not, but it, the way he played near the end of the season was was really impressive, and maybe it throws a a bit of water in the face of the the analytics boys because you know there was a, there's a real narrative and and I think one that had some steam behind it that you know he was a below average MLS keeper back in his Montreal days. But man, I I don't know if it's the coaching here in Vancouver or what exactly it was, but Bush has been rock solid for Vancouver you know, in, in his appearances this season. And I really hope that whether it's here or somewhere else, he finds a good spot and a good fit because it seems like a, a, a veteran guy that still has a lot to give at the MLS level. And, uh, you know, even if it was a short stint with Vancouver, very thankful for his contributions. And I think his his leadership and kind of calm demeanor at the back there was was very helpful for a young Whitecaps team in a in an unprecedented time. I think it kind of confirmed a lot about goalkeepers personally from the research I've done on the subject. It's such a volatile position. And that's why personally in my ideal team build, I don't spend, I don't, you know, put that much money in goalkeeping because if, as long as you have a decent goalkeeper, so kind of look what happened in San Jose when they put JT Marchinkowski over Daniel Vega, our favorite whipping boy in the show yeah. for no reason, poor guy, but but that you made know, such a significant difference to that and team. Like March, exactly. And Marchinkowski's not like, a, he's not a world beater. He's not a manual Neuer. He's not going out there doing all these amazing things, but he just fits the system so much more. You can play more with the ball at his feet. He just, he's more active and he's cost them nothing. And, and it just kind of shows you it's the same thing with the white caps. I mean, they had Stefan Marinovic in 2018. He was okay. He was overpriced. They leave, they get in Max Crepeau for a fraction of the cost and he ends up being the top three goalkeeper in MLS, like based on team fits and the goalkeeper position in soccer is so volatile to, to, to tactics, to this and that. And I think the Whitecaps, A, are lucky they have Yusuf Dahaks. I mean, it's no coincidence that every goalie that's gone in under him has been good. I think what Thomas Assault, he's been, he was great. Max Crepo, he was great. Evan Bush. Now he's been great. I mean, you look at guy like, you know, I mean, 
good that Chichiro Udunze got some tutelage under him because clearly it must have helped him on his path to Leicester. Clearly Yusuf Daha is an asset to the organization and hopefully they, they realize that and, and invest in him and, and, and can keep him around. But also, I mean, maybe it's great for goalkeepers like someone jokingly said on Twitter, yes, they get a lot of practice when you play on the white caps and they give up 18 shots a game and whatnot. So maybe that does help them. But for whatever reason, they've got a goalkeeper friendly environment. And I think that that's good. And I think that that helps them. It's an asset to them. And I think it's just, it shows also at the same time why you shouldn't overinvest in goalkeepers and why there's bargains out there to be found. And based on what Evan Bush is making, it, it, it's so unclear. It sounds like this year he was only making 50 or a hundred K for the white caps, but no one knows what that option is next year. It sounds like it could be hefty, but it, it just makes everything interesting. But I think goalkeeper, again, it's, it's far from away from the white caps. I think bringing in a guy from abroad, from abroad, sorry, from outside of the team who was struggling and having him do well kind of shows that goalkeeper is far from a worry if you're the white caps. Yeah. Usually those, those options are, are a little on the heftier side financially. And while the white caps, Sounds like they got a pretty good deal in terms of not taking on too much of the contract this year. They'll obviously be on the hook for for most of it next year. So that's something that's going to be interesting to track. I mean, that's a, I know I said it when Bush was brought in here. That's going to be a, a test for Axel Schuster. If he's as good at you know balancing the books as people have said he is, then he's going to have to deal with having you know, three keepers under contract that, and really only room for two of them. So we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, Alex, any final thoughts before we get to the third sub of the match for this uh, LA Galaxy fixture that's uh, now gone by? I mean, not much to, not, not much else to say. I think there's a lot uh, of Ali stuff. Adnan on the wing permanently, maybe? I don't know. So a lot of the stuff I want to debate, I feel like would be better served in the offseason. Like, what do you do yeah. with the goalkeeper situation? And we've spent a lot of time, but I guess a few things that I will want to say. Uh, Christian Gutierrez was a man. It was, st- was standout performance. He, he had a primary assist. He won a red card. He made some. He had a he had a secondary assist, so he had two assists actually. Um, he made some good tackles. He was good position. There was one where he made a run forward. The ball got lost. And he tracked back so fast and made up the ground and recovered very nicely. And I was, uh, usually you might not pick up those things, but for whatever reason, I caught that run and I was actually really impressed with his off the ball play and what he was doing. So I think Gutierrez was a revelation. I think that you, you kind of have to tip your cap to the white caps for that piece of business. Again, like we said in the beginning of this show, their, their recruitment of secondary players this off season has seemed to be, for the most part of you, you look at guys they brought in this year versus last year, like there aren't that many flops or, you know, guys you're worried about or guys you're, you know, that, that cause you question. I mean, yes, a couple of guys last year I felt were really miscast. I think there's no better example than Lucas Venuto and last Bangura situation that we we've gone over many a time, how, you know, they, they got two traditional wingers to fill defensive winger roles. They were just not suited for, but this year, the second, recruitment has just has been good i think gutierrez is a perfect example of that brought in on a free a, a, a cheap canadian domestic left back so he doesn't eat up international spot great option as a backup he's young and and he's he works hard he's a lot more skilled than you think he he defends well it's exactly everything what you want from that price point and what they got him for 
as a backup left back. And he could easily be a starter based on what happens with Ali Adnan in the offseason. And I think that's, that's a great piece of business for them to get Gutierrez as they did. Yeah, I kind of going back to my thoughts about the, you know, finding the core players and, and having the complementary pieces. I think, you know, as you outlined, Goody's a great example of that where, you know, still got a lot of room to grow. We've seen big improvement over the course of this season. I'm kind of, despite it's not the exact same position, I do get some, some Derek Cornelius type vibes where at the beginning of last season, DC looked out of sorts a couple of times and had some poor showings. And then by the end of the season, you really saw what he had to offer. And I feel like Gutierrez is, you know, gone on a similar arc. Certainly there were a couple matches there in the middle of the season where you got exposed a little bit defensively or they weren't the greatest showings. And then he had some injury troubles as well, but he's had a few real standout performances and perhaps none greater than this final match day. So I'm, I'm excited for guys like him, guys like Baldy, you know, if Ryan Raposo and Theo Bear actually get playing time at some point, excited for those guys too. So I think there's there's a whole host of good complimentary pieces. You know, Leo Owusu should improve. You know, Yanio Bakel's still young. So, uh, yeah, I'm optimistic about a lot of these guys, but it's just can you find the right you know, core building blocks to put these guys around. And we'll just have to see. But uh, third sub of the match, uh, this was, a, in my opinion, uh, an all-time third sub of the match just in the kind of memeiness and, like, strange circumstances. I don't know if I'm conflicted whether or not this was a a great and iconic first ever MLS appearance or, or if I just feel really, really bad for Damiano Pasili or Pasil, which way do you say that? Have we, have we confirmed that? I think it's Pasil. I want to say, yeah, I want to say Pasil, but we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we, we double check on that, but man, you got it. Like that's tough to come on and, and what did he even he barely took the field, and, and, and there was no reason in a 3-0 match why they couldn't have brought him on with 10 minutes left. So I have to kind of shake my head at Mark DeSantos for that one. Boy, I mean, he literally, he came on, he smiled, the camera panned him, he smiled. There was a goal kick. The, the goal kick happened. It traveled maybe three feet, the ref blew the whistle. He played... I kid you not about in terms of the ball actually being in play, it was one second. If you can count the time he ran across the pitch and got ready, it was about seven seconds. Like what the, like, I mean, hopefully there's a bonus in this kid's contract, giving him extra money if he makes his MLS debut or something. And hopefully it's not a minutes based trigger or something. Cause boy, he got done. He got done real dirty. I mean, it would have just been nice to see. And I was it was funny because, I mean, they're mentioning, oh, it's a tradition to play home grounds on the last game. And it's true. George Mukumbawa did make his first, was it sub-appearance last year? On the last game the year before with Simon Coline. And it's frustrating. If I'm going to be honest, I, I'm, I'm going to start hating the tradition because Simon Coline's a great prospect. He didn't see a minute ever again with the Whitecaps. Now he looks like he's going to be at Spal for permanently at this rate. And then you look at George Mukumbawa great prospect for one of my eyes he was I was so impressed with him last year and I wanted him to get minutes this year at fullback on the wing he didn't play a lick I mean he's, he's been in the absolute abyss this year well, like where to, to has credit, he been 
No, for him, it's been visa issues. He yeah. can't travel to the States. And he wasn't able to feature in the Canada games because the Whitecaps had all of their players and wanted to, you know, play yeah. all their which, players Which together. is tough. It's a tough break for him. It's tough because like, he wasn't going to get minutes in those Canadian games just because, you know, Caps had come back from MLS's back. They needed to play catch-up and get games to minutes or give minutes to guys who needed minutes. But And now, like, hopefully Pasil doesn't end up in the same abyss because if – for this tradition as it was pointed out i mean so far it's been everyone uh, for those three players they have i mean there's three it's only two those two players have yet to get minutes after the, those last game debuts so here's to hoping to if we're going to use a one word it's uh more i mean simple we're going to go for a, a classic a favorite word of mine and as, as you as well just more just please don't put this kid in the abyss he's talented he's he's got a lot to bring in the midfield role and Hopefully this isn't the last time we see him for a year or two, as as the case has seemed to have been for the other prospects. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess my word is my word is hope in the sense that I you know I hope for more, and that also I'm hopeful for a proper Canadian Championship next year, and the potential for some of these younger guys to get you know a full ninety or a, a forty five minute performance or something like that because that's a it's been a missed opportunity this year, obviously understandable circumstances but it's a shame and then i just want to talk a little bit about i mean i know it's a meaningless you know three nil whatever like should the subs in a match like this really matter absolutely not but it's also a dead rubber match you've got five subs and your first sub is toss ricketts in the 86th minute you got metcalf on the bench you got i mean you got even give dc 45 minutes because like why not or you know, obviously Theo Bear coming on before the 87th. Ryan Raposo doesn't see the field. Yasser Kamiri, a guy who's been out of the lineup a lot, like maybe he could have used 45 minutes to stretch his legs and feel comfortable in an MLS shirt again. There were so many things you could have done, and I know you're going after the ninth win, but uh, obviously I, I, I took issue with those substitutes. Oh, I was so frustrated. Like for me... Considering the Galaxy went down to 10 men in the first half as well, it was already 2-0. Like, if you don't and, and they were players, done. They had packed it in. There was no effort from that Galaxy side in the second half. And, like, if you're Mark DeSantos and you don't trust your subs when your team is technically at home up 2-0 against the 10-men Galaxy, or probably the, the worst team in MLS this year, if not bottom three, like when when else are these guys gonna play? Like what is Pat what are Patrick Metcalf, Theo Bear, Ryan Raposo, heck Derek Cornelius too? I mean, they didn't really need to sub out a def- the defender I'll pass because they kept a clean sheet and you wanna keep the back five. But what did Patrick Metcalf and Ryan Raposo and Theo Bear and those guys have to do to get more minutes? Like it was frustrating and Theo Bear, poor guy, comes on at the 86th minute again. I'm pretty sure if you look at ever since the LAFC game where he got yanked after 15 minutes, his like his game by game log just must be abysmal because poor guy has been getting on every game at like the the 85th minute, and his his xG must be through the roof because he seems to generate every, a shot every game. He comes in and plays five minutes, so his xG per 90 must be like leading the league and you know leading the MLS at this point, but. I don't know. It's, it was frustrating. I was I was living in a dead rubber game. Like even if you blow a three 0 lead, like at the, at, the, at the end, like what does it change? Like you 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 know, like heck, maybe they would have drawn. Like great, honestly, like you you didn't draw all season. I don't know. I'm 
stumbling on my words here because I'm honestly I'm lost I'm lost for words why there weren't subs I, I know Mark DeSantis wanted to go for it and I, I agree it was important assessment period for him and his staff of his team but 60 minutes against that Galaxy team was more than enough before assessing some of the other pieces that are going to be huge for you next year like Patrick Metcalf, Theo Baron, Ryan Raposo. Okay, do you do you want to witness um, Theo's I'm minutes gonna... since that LAFC match? Well, I have it open here, so I'll follow so, along. As do I. So, so twenty-two minutes at right wing in that six-nil defeat. So then, fifteen minutes against the Sounders, nine minutes against the Quakes, one minute against the Galaxy, one minute against the Quakes, fifty. Six, I believe, in that yeah. start, in the start against Seattle, then seven against the Timbers, and three against the LA Galaxy. And really, he hasn't on, hit ninety since. And to be honestly, it's far worse than that. Over the course of this regular season, he's got three hundred and thirty-six total minutes played. Like that's nowhere near enough for the level of quality this guy provides. Just. I understand it's a strange season, but you had five freaking substitutes for most of the year to have that few minutes played. I mean, I know we, we go over and over this, but it, it's worth saying again because those those numbers are shocking. Yeah, and he, I don't know what he needed to do for more minutes. Like that, What's frustrating is that he does, didn't deserve this. He, like he scored a, some, a great goal at against uh, Montreal. He... Not only that, he just generates so many chances. He works hard. He's lively. What does he have to do for more minutes is more my concern. It's not like – if the, honestly, his minutes plan would have been great for someone like Patrick Metcalf or like someone who's a first-year pro still getting into it. Heck, even someone like a Pasil or even a Coline, uh, to use an example. For someone like Theo Bear that did such a good job at establishing himself last year and then – took a step forward this year too. started off the year so well at the Canada national team camp in January, scoring his first goal and his first cap for Canada for him to, it was, it's frustrating. It must be frustrating for him because he frankly needs a lot more minutes and hopefully, hopefully next year he can be a core piece of this team because I think he's, he's good enough to be. And I mean, at his price and his age and his nationality being a Canadian kid on a Canadian team, like why would they not want to invest in him? And I mean, for example, if David Milinkovic isn't back next year for whatever reason, like honestly, Mark DeSantos run with a Christian Dahomey, Lucas Cavallini, Theo Bear front three. Honestly, I think it would be worth it. It would you you would. I, I think he deserves it. He deserves a run, and it was just frustrating to see. And I mean, I think it would get to the point where if you know next year goes similarly to this one, and he continues to not get much run. It's a guy that has to look at, man, can I go get opportunities elsewhere if I'm not going to be utilized properly? Because, you know, this is a guy that's at a crucial stage of his development. and You can't afford to just sit on the bench in perpetuity. So I really hope that he gets that opportunity next year and we don't have to have these discussions. But, yeah, that's pretty much it for that the LA Galaxy match. Uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps, you know, finishing... We, we heard in the post-match press conference, you know, all the positives about this year, how they had nine wins and, and you know, their, their significant improvements from last year. And, and that's true to some degree, but I think that, you know, it's, it's such a tough one to evaluate because 
a lot of those wins coming against 10 men, a lot of those wins coming against teams right at the bottom of the table or teams, you know, doing heavy squad rotation. It's a it's a challenging one to evaluate. And uh we're just we've got the entire off season fortunately to kind of break this one down. But uh yeah, Alex, any any kind of final season-ending thoughts before we get into a couple of players that are that are on our minds as we shift to the off season? I mean, you can only beat what's in front of you, so I'm not going to criticize the quality of opposition nor uh, the 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 legitimacy of the the victories. But it was an interesting season. I personally, it would have been nice to see them grind out some more character results and some of those losses, but. Ultimately, it was a tough year for them. They went through a lot. So it is what it is. And just it's all about next year. I think that third year is always crucial for a coach. It's the make or break year. And I think for Mark DeSantos, along with Axel Schuster, it's going to be massive. So as, as much as it's always tough to always have to look forward for the Whitecaps, I mean, if, if, you, if you just look at things the way they are and what Mark DeSantos has had on his plate and what Axel Schuster has now, I think it's crucial next year for them. So it'll be interesting to follow along next year. I think this year was, it was always going to be a tough season. And I mean, credit to Toronto for battling through similar circumstances and coming out mostly on top, even though they did falter at the end and credit to Montreal. I mean, I guess technically the Whitecaps, they did get more points in Montreal. Like who would have thunk that Montreal was way ahead of them at the beginning of the year. So maybe credit to the Whitecaps for that, but it was a tough year. So Onwards and upwards, I guess, if you're the Whitecaps, that should be your focus right now. Yeah, and in a in a bit of blatant self promotion, I look back at the predictions I did at the beginning of the year for uh, for the season ending standings, and I I prognosticated that the Whitecaps would improve slightly from last year, but uh, just miss the playoffs with a ninth place finish. Now, mind you, all of this was before COVID, before MLS is back, before everything that went on, but. Uh, Pretty proud of myself that I managed to luck into that one and and hit the nail on the head. But I think it also goes to show that despite all the challenges and everything the Whitecaps faced, this team finished about where they were supposed to finish. Like, if this had been a normal normal regular season, I don't think ninth place would have been a would have been a strange result for them. So that kind of tells you my thoughts in terms of of where this team is at currently. But a player that I want to talk about just a little bit. I mean, we're not going to dive into these full-fledged discussions about the offseason just yet. But I know, Alex, you were listening to the post-match remarks of Freddie Montero. And from what I heard, does that sound like a player that's planning on coming back and being in a Vancouver Whitecaps shirt next year? It, It sounded a lot like there's me and then there's what this team is doing and I'm not necessarily sure that Freddie sees those two fitting together next season. I don't know. It was very cryptic, but this is very time, cryptic. It was more like, I think it was negotiations more. You don't want to go on record and be like, I want to stay here because then that's used against you in negotiations. And you could tell he was measuring his words. And I mean, it, again, it sounds like he likes a lot of the guys on the team sounds like he want he love he obviously we know he loves the city he wants to be here but you're never going to get out of anything out of him on record especially as a veteran just because it's it's negotiations you go on the if everyone hears you say i love this team i want to stay i mean that's fuel for contract negotiations that are already going to be heated and i think 
for him, I think he he nailed it. I, I put it in my I put him as my player to watch because I was like, it's his last game. If he does indeed start, what better way for you to go out and stick your middle finger to your the club and score a couple of goals and be like, okay, this is my negotiations. Like, deal with it. And he did just that. So I mean, I, from a personal standpoint, I'm I'm happy for him as a you know as a professional. I think he he nailed he nailed the the circumstances. A dead rubber game. Go out, score two goals. Two nice goals. Too. Well, the first goal, uh, right place at the right time. Let's just call that one. But the second one was really well taken, and I think that was just kind of it. He was happy. He, was, he just kind of threw all his cards on the table. Like I scored two goals. I know what my, I'm worth. And if you guys want to keep me, I, I the guys around, you know, your star player Lucas Cavallini wants to keep me. Like, do you want to keep your star player happy? It's just kind of I like the way he just put everything out there. It was very contract negotiations 101. That's interesting. That's it's a good point, and I think Freddie, Freddie's a guy that has always, you know, known his worth and 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 valued himself. And I don't mean that in like some people could perceive that as very very cocky or very egotistical. And I don't get that sense from Freddie. He just he knows his quality, and he's not going to short sell himself on that. So I think you're right in the sense that. You know, it's, it, I guess it's easy to read into some of those comments and think, oh, there's no chance he's coming back. But but in another sense, really, there's only two, maybe three options for, for Freddie, it seems like. The Whitecaps, Seattle, or maybe Portland. So he's got to do everything he can to kind of drum up the, you know, the negotiating power in his favor. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. And ultimately, I think it it maybe depends more on whether or not the Whitecaps think it's a fit than dollars and cents. Well, we'll have to see. But uh, the other player I want to talk about, and a guy I was disappointed to not see back in the lineup or maybe on the bench for this match against the LA Galaxy, was Davin Milinkovic. We were, I don't want to say we were promised, but there was the potential that he would be back or at least available for this final match of the regular season, but he didn't make the trip to Portland and this is a guy that after being our first half of the season MVP, we did not see very much of in the second half of the season. Sounds like there were some, whether it was personal disputes or, you know, health concerns, it's it's kind of unclear. Again, in this COVID season, we just don't have all the information. But I tweeted out before the match, I really hope that we get to see Davin Milinkovic again in a white cap shirt, but I'm not sure. It doesn't feel like it right now. And that's, that's disappointing if that's the case. I would, I'm hoping to see him next year. I think again, David, David Milinkovic, Christian. I certainly, I go back and forth on that. So I apologize. I mean, he's, he's French, so it should be David, but yeah, it is technically David. Sometimes I say David as well. It is David. Uh, but I, I'd love to see a front three of him, Caval- uh, Dahomey and Cavallini next year. I feel like that would be a very MLS quality front three, and they could really inflict some damage. I mean, he was so good at the beginning of the year. It just kind of sucked to see his season fall off the rails. And I guess we ultimately just need to hear more from what happened. I think this is kind of going to be one that information is eventually going to come out. And it sounds like it's health concerns. Hopefully it's nothing more than that, and he can get on the right track and you just hope it's nothing nothing that is controversial or nothing that sees him have a hasty exit from here because he loves the club he loved mark you know he loves mark DeSantos. he seems to be very a very good fit so it would suck to see things end 
and I don't think he wants to go back to Hull City. God, they're playing in EFL League One now. I have no idea how they're even doing, to be honest. I'll I'll check up, but I, I don't think he wants to go back to Hull. I don't think that's a a match he wants to explore right now. So it'd be in everyone's best interest to work out a deal. So hopefully that that is what happened because he is definitely MLS quality. He definitely likes the club, and he he can bring a lot more. And he, he him and Dahomey complement each other so well as wingers compared to in the Mark DeSanto system compared to what we saw from Venuto and Bangura a year ago. So it just makes so much sense. And to answer my question, uh, Hull is fifth out of 24 teams in the AFL League One. So they're candidates for promotion, but it's very entirely possible that they get stuck in the AFL League One. But I believe that uh, David's out of contract at the end of the season anyway. So he wouldn't necessarily, it's not like he's got a, a long-term deal in place at Hull. I don't believe as Alex is maybe looking this up, but it feels very much like it's the Whitecaps or, you know, other pastors unknown. Like maybe he'd consider a return to Scotland. Certainly his his profile there is decently high from his time at heart, so maybe that's an option. I'm not entirely sure, but obviously he's spoken a lot about how he, he loves the city. You know, he loves the team and, and kind of the environment here, so... Hopefully that's a fit. I think later this week we're going to get David Milinkovic in uh, the season ending post, you know, kind of postseason availability. So hopefully we can get a lot of these questions answered. I mean, I wouldn't expect him to give too much away in terms of contract negotiations, but just in terms of what's happened over the last couple months, because it's it's essentially been a big question mark up until this point. Yeah, for some reason his contract ends, uh, it does end on December 31st, according to Transfer Market, which is confusing because I've never, that's rare that you see someone's loan end and their contract end at the same time. Well, I think it's just because Hull Hull knew that they didn't want him back regardless. It was essentially a transfer to never see you again, which is kind of rare because usually teams don't, don't do that. Yeah, well, I guess that's good if the Whitecaps, if they do indeed want him back, because he'll be on a free. They don't have to pay a fee for him, so they can definitely get him in a reasonable cost. So it's definitely going to be the, one of the most interesting ones to watch, definitely between him and Montero for that for that title in terms of players returning, because you look elsewhere on the roster. I mean, you can't, again, you can't expect much turnover. Is there anyone you expect to leave? I mean, I look at the, the roster. Again, Ali Adnan... If he does leave, he would be a big bombshell, and I think it's very possible. But if not after him, I mean, maybe one of the goalies, but I feel like that's inevitable. And if not, the only one I could see is maybe Yasser Kamiri. Maybe he's he's moved on to, to a, just to give a, give him a reboot and move on. But I think the rest of the roster, you, you think, okay, Andy Rose, Derek Cornelius, Eric Godoy, Ranko Veselinovic, they're all here. Christian Gutierrez, Jake Nowinski, they're both here. Um you know, Thomas Hassall and Max Crepo, they're both here. If not, one of them is sold onwards to make room. Um, you look in the midfield, Bikel and Awusu and Tybert aren't going anywhere. Um, Cavallini, Dahomey, they're both not going anywhere. It's really the – and Theo Baron, Toussaint Ricketts. It's just – and obviously Baldissimo. The, all the kids aren't going anywhere either. Maybe on loan. Some of them, Mike Metcalf could very possibly go on loan to a CPL team. But it's really going to come down Montero. Olinkovich, possibly and possibly Kamiri, feels like. Yeah, I think that's a, a very succinct way of breaking it down and, and goes to show again how I don't want to make myself a broken record, but this is this is kind of the off season of 
core acquisitions. It's not about volume like these past few off seasons where it's just like get new guys in the door, change the culture, change the feel of the team. This is now how do we, you know, anchor the roster. And so in some ways it's the, you know, it's easy to say that every off season is the most important off season because it's, it always is the net, you know, what, what lies ahead of you is always the most important, but this one really, I think will, set the course of this Schuster Dos Santos Whitecaps era team is this you know is this a club that takes the next step forward or is this a club that recycles more of the same mediocrity it's uh you know there's only one way to find out but that brings us to something that happened since we last spoke and happened just prior to the Whitecaps' match against the LA Galaxy and that was the Vancouver Whitecaps season-ending award show, which was available, I think it was on Facebook Live. I believe that's correct. They kind of did it in their Portland hotel. It was certainly lower fi in comparison to uh, what we got to take in last year. And uh, I kind of labeled, I labeled some of the awards from this one. We're only going to talk about the first team awards. I mean, shout out to the Academy teams, but we're not plugged in. We certainly haven't seen a lot from those Academy teams. So I can't really... You know, in a year like this, where there's can't really can't comment really on off. those awards. I mean, I'm I'd be super excited to dive into more of that stuff if we kind of you know get the access, have the opportunity. But uh, at the moment, it's just kind of a kind of a moot point. But in terms of the first team awards, um, yeah, I kind of broke it down: the good, the bad, the ugly. So the good, Jake Norwinski winning unsung player of the year because. We've been on that train for a super long time, so it's there's a feeling of validation to see him earn that award. Um, you know, from within his own, I believe it was chosen by the coaching staff. So that goes to show that you know we're not completely crazy, and that there's people within the organization that feel the same way. And I'd also think that's not an award you give to a guy you plan on shipping off at the end of this season. So I'm a, I'm happy that it doesn't feel like the Whitecaps are giving up on Jake Nerwinski as a as a player and as an asset going forwards. Then there's the bad, which is I mean this isn't really bad, but when you throw Ali Adnan in a fan-voted competition, you know what the outcome is going to be. And I say it's bad in the sense that I just don't think he deserved to win the most valuable player of the year award. Because I think there's yeah. one guy whose performance really indicated consistently throughout the season whether or not the Whitecaps were successful and really, in an underrated way, mattered to this team a lot. And I, I think Alex and I are on the same page here. That's Christian Dahomey. Okay, good. I, I was, He's I was my most good. valuable player of the year. You kind of yeah. dropped hints on the last podcast that he, that he wasn't going to be your most valuable player of the year, and I was a little bit surprised, but... I've been thinking for, you know, three, four, five weeks now that this is the guy that really when it comes down to it, you know, Freddie would be in and out, Kava was in and out, other guys on the roster, Milinkovic, Hassal, they all put in good showings, but Dahomey over the course of the season, it was like whenever the Whitecaps had success, he was a major part of it, and it was so refreshing to see a winger with such a complete game and the way he could affect things in a way we we haven't seen from a lot of, you know, diminutive South American wingers on Whitecaps rosters in the past. So that's, uh, you know, that's no doubt the, that would have been great. But, you know, Ali Adnan, I mean, he's a, he's a quality player. So you can't, 
contest that to too high a degree. And then there's the ugly. And maybe this is a bit unfair, but giving Ranko Vasilinovic the most promising player award, I mean, I don't even need to go into it. I just think that's a that's a blatant PR move that's selling fans on a guy you just signed without really any regard for whether or not that award is deserving. So that's really all I have to say about that one. I mean, for the MVP, I think I, I agree with Dahomey. It was between him and Montero. I think my top four, I said it was between Mon- Nerwinski, Montero, and Dahomey. Malinkovic probably would have fallen to my number four just because of how things ended up in the second half of the season. I think ultimately my final ranking would have been something like Dahomey, Montero, Nerwinski, Malinkovic. I, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to find. I, I think I had it written down somewhere. But it was, I think you tweeted it okay, out. Okay, actually, I, I must have. I think I did tweet it out, but I'm, I'm confused because I, I keep mixing it up. But it was definitely – I had Dahomey, uh, number one. I had Montero, number two, that for sure. I had Cava as my number eight. Hassal is my number seven. Godoy is my number six. Adnan is my number five. I think it was just the three and four. I, I forgot. I'll see what I tweeted out because I just found it. On my in my group chat. Yeah, uh, if I if I had to go cast, off the that doesn't always. If I had to go off the top of my head because I didn't really do a full layout. Obviously, Dahomey one. I think Montero two. And it's when you get to three that it's kind of more ta- challenging. I'm actually tempted to say that I put mm-hmm. Ali Adnan three based on that end of season run, and he has had pretty good performances over the course of the year. Had some good showings at MLS is back. Then Malinkovic four. Cavallini five and then I think you got guys like Godoy and Hassal in there six seven that would kind of be where I would go with it yeah well my kind of my logic Dahomey no-brainer Montero close to no-brainer as well Nerwinski just felt like he was massively undervalued so I guess it makes oh, sense did I, I completely forgot Jake, didn't I but he he won the unsung so I don't feel like he can really be in the run like I kind of took him out because he already won the unsung I don't know. I just have him MVP because he he was so unsung that he should have honestly could have been the MVP, but he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, so I think fair. that makes sense. But and then I had Adnan fifth. Just I don't know. I I, I it's only because I had Milinkovic ahead of him. Just because I feel like what Milinkovic did at the beginning of the season just doesn't deserve to go unnoticed. Let's say. And then after that, I had Godoy sixth because I feel like he's been his return to the lineup just stabilized a lot of problems that we. You know, like the defense stopped shipping three goals a game mysteriously. I don't think that's any coincidence that Eric Godoy's entrance was a cause for that. And I mean, Thomas Assal also, he got a good run. I felt like he deserved some some knowledge, I, uh, some love, sorry. And Lucas Cavallini was my number eight just because, yes, he had four game-winning goals. Now something ridiculous, like second best in MLS. But it was just too inconsistent, too all over the place for especially with a player of his price. So I just put him at number eight because of that. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of the. Uh, there wasn't really a, a ton more to say about the well, awards, unless well, I, I didn't know, talk. I have... didn't even touch on the Ranko one. That's oh, this one is true. Yeah, we, we we can't gloss over that. The the Ranko Vasilevich one. I mean, Inbaum won it last year. What as the twenty three year old? So clearly yeah. the most promising players. It can mean myself, whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> myself and the Whitecaps have two very different definitions of what promising players. For me, it's a U twenty one award. This. And a person, I just give it to guys who I don't want to put a restriction on it. 
and say, oh, if you can't win it if you're not, like, you know, homegrown. But maybe it, it kind of to... should be for a homegrown, you feel. If they like. should make a homegrown award and then have a homegrown award and a U23 or something because, or a, some, I don't know. It just feels so wrong to spend, have a, an expensive center, Serbian center back come in and win the award the year after an expensive South Korean midfielder wins. It. Like, most promising. Like, what, what happens if they buy a 20 year old, $10 million number 10, like a Diego Rossi kind of. Oh, he, Diego Rossi's a number nine, but you know, a Diego Rossi caliber player. Is he going to win most promising? That just feels wrong when he'd be the borderline team MVP. And I don't know. I personally would have given it to someone like, you know, Michael Baldissimo, Theo Bear, Thomas Hassall, one of those three guys. I mean, it, it just felt wrong to give it to Ranko Veselinovic, frankly. I mean, <sighs> Not much else to say on that, really. Like, like, why? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a... To be clear, I'm not a big fan of these internal team awards anyways. Like, I don't you know, I don't think you put much stock in them. I, it's something that you... You know, it's nice, especially when it's like an event at the end of the year. It gives an opportunity for people at the academy level to be recognized, and you get a larger group of the entire club together. And there's something kind of special about that. But in terms of the actual value of the awards themselves, there's not a lot to be to be put in it. So it's just one of those things where you kind of flip the page and move on. Other than, I think it's obvious that, you know, guys like Freddie Montero and David Milinkovic, you don't want to give those guys awards right as they're entering contract negotiations, right? You don't well, that's want to. Why Ali Adnan was put on the ballot. hundred. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, someone in our in our eighty six forever group chat made a really really good point. Said that, you know, remember when we all got tricked into thinking Aaron Mond was a really good defender because he'd won the RSL Defender of a Year award the the year before he came to the Whitecaps, and it's like exactly you. You can often be duped and fooled if you put too much stock in these internal team awards. So, you know, Mond serves as a cautionary tale not to uh, not to get too hyped. I mean, I, I liked I liked Aaron Mond. And to be fair, he didn't play much for the Whitecaps. I don't think he's a... He was just a strange case. Like, he, he played, what, like five games for the Whitecaps? And I thought he was... I think it was, I think it was more than that. That's just me. Per- I don't know. You can confirm We'll take that, that offline. I'll, I'll take a look. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely look at it. But, I mean, I agree. That's why, for me, my conspiracy, it's not much of a conspiracy. Ali Adnan was put on the boat to take away votes from Freddie Montero to take away negotiations. And you know what? It worked. I I don't think it, it – it is what it is. I'm not going to look at it and be like, this was a big sham, like, you know, corruption. You know, I'll go after that. It, it is what it is. It's team awards. It's all for fun. Honestly, I wouldn't mind if they made the awards more fun. Like, you know, like – I don't know what you could even do to make the awards more fun, but make some more awards where it's like just awards that aren't so serious. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what an example of that would be, but like mistake of the year where someone just did something so stupid where it's just like they own so, it. And they so get like Ranko, a- Ranko would have won that one for sure. Well, Ranko maybe in terms of volume. I don't know if there's one that was like particularly embarrassing. Like I, I, I can't think of it off of the, off of the mid drift here, but like stuff like that, or like, I don't know, like, just more fun awards is basically my point fastest player of the year this or that fittest player of the year like give Russell Tiber an award for winning the beep test this year like come on like at least have some fun you know <laughs> so Aaron Mond 12 Whitecaps appearances two in 2017 three in or two in 2017 and 10 in 2018 I believe 
Okay. So so not a not a huge sample size, but but slightly more. And I, he's been I playing he for okay. playing for Charlotte good. Independence since then, and and been rock solid down there at the USL level. So yeah, shout out. Shout out to Aaron Mond. Hope he's doing well. Didn't want to well, you know slag him off too much yeah, on the podcast, well, I mean, but I thought it was I, a, it was a good example, right? I, I think my proclamations of calling him Aaron Mondini, like uh, like Maldini, is a bit over exaggerated, but I think he was he was he was okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, the, the one thing I want to bring up here, I'm, I feel like often enough we we don't really talk MLS at at large news, and this is kind of the the curse of MLS to a certain degree is you get, you get very stuck into your own team and you don't really pay attention to what's going on around the league as a whole. But Philadelphia union went on a really nice run to end the season, taking away that coveted supporter shield from TFC, which has obviously a been horror. a hot topic, but I think just to add, I don't know, just an extra layer to this wild MLS season the fact that the supporter shield trophy didn't arrive in time from Los Angeles. So what Philadelphia did was someone vaguely associated with the team, like a someone in comms, their sister's like wife, the brothers, sister whatever yeah, it was so had funny. this guy had a guy or girl. I'm not actually entirely sure. So I don't want to just assume had a like full scale replica, not just like a, Halloween costume, but like, like a, a proper replica quality. Captain America shield. And what the the team did was they put like the vinyl wrap over the top of it and with that weird supporter shield kind of logo. And so for a lot of us that were kind of wondering, like, why does the trophy look so weird? It like like CGI. <laughs> yeah, what's what exactly is going on here? They like it was FIFA when they're holding They were it lifting a Captain America shield with vinyl on it above their heads. I mean, full credit, like this is part of what makes me simultaneously love and hate MLS at the same time. Like it's an amazing story and it's a really cool moment. But it's also so Mickey Mouse, like the fact that they couldn't get the trophy there in time is just shambolic. So uh, congrats to Philly. Congrats to everyone who got that secondary trophy set up for them to lift. And, uh, oh, I feel so bad for TFC. Really really crushing for them to not earn that supporter's shield. You know, my, my, my truest and heartfelt condolences to those on the East Coast. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, personally, I would be in tears. I would be struggling to continue with my day-to-day life and it would it would be a long week to the you know long 10 days to go to the playoffs and you know it's off the number two team it really like you just have to feel for for second place in a 26 team league like I think that really puts them at a disadvantage going in the playoffs but speaking of the playoffs I mean do you want to any comments on the playoffs? You have playoffs written in the notes. Yeah. Well, where, where yeah, we it, I, I had it kind of open-ended. So first of all, you've got the the two play-in matches to look forward to: the Revs against the Impact, Nashville against Inter Miami. I'm actually kind of going to get up for Nashville versus Inter Miami because I don't watch either of those teams a lot. Well, that's such an intriguing matchup: the two expansion teams. Yeah. So so that one has my curiosity and will most likely have my attention as well. And then on the, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the rest of the Eastern Conference matchups. I mean, I think, you know, Phil, it's kind of down to Philly and Toronto there. Those, those two have certainly distinguished themselves. But in the West, you know, you've got Seattle Sounders against LAFC. So 
you have to like the Sounders, but LAFC could always surprise. Then you've got the Timbers against Dallas. I think that one points heavily in favor of the Timbers. Got Minnesota United against the Colorado Rapids. That one's kind of wide open. I don't know what we can expect from Colorado. And then the one I'm really kind of intrigued by is Sporting Kansas City against the San Jose Earthquakes because I have this sneaking suspicion that San Jose could make a run and make a lot of noise. They just seem to be... Wando is like doing this, you know, just revenge tour against every team in MLS, just showing them that he's still got it. And San Jose is so, so sneaky dangerous. I think they could make a deep run. But yeah, that's kind of how I view it is really in the West, the chalk teams like Sporting Kansas City, Portland, Seattle, they're the obvious favorites with San Jose maybe being able to make a run. And in the, in the East, I think it's just, you know, it feels like a two team battle. Well, 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 well. I think the playing games are very intriguing. I think it would be miraculous if Miami wins. That would be so... Like, if they make it into the playoffs, the the, the real thing, I guess, the final 16 with only 23 points, like, boy. But, I mean, they have Blesma Tweedy and Gonzalo Higuain. They have Lewis Morgan, and they have difference makers. So, like, they're the kind of team that you'd hate to face in the playoffs because... Yes, they've underperformed. They do have Pizarro too, but he might be away for international duty. That's a storyline worth watching because he's with Mexicans, Mexico's national team, but they got talent. Whereas like a team like Nashville, is, you don't want to face them either because they'll grind you out for 90 minutes. But it's like a battle of who do you want to face if you're if you're Toronto or Philly and you know you have to, you're, you're kind of going to, based on how the, those two games go, like do you want a Nashville team that's going to come onto your, your pitch and just grind the absolute heck out of you, or do you going to do you want to face a Miami team that has guys like Higuain and Matuidi and and you know maybe Pizarro and Lewis Morgan? Like that's not an easy choice because yeah, that New England Montreal like Montreal is a team I'd rather face them in the first round, and that's no offense to Montreal; they're a really solid team. They have difference makers, but they just haven't found that second gear. It feels like. They're, they're third year or something. They just haven't gotten out of gear lately, it feels. They've kind of been sputtering along. I don't know if they're necessarily a matchup. I mean, sorry, they are a matchup you'd rather face than a Nashville team that's going to grind the grind the life out of you. But looking at, looking at the, the playoffs, my team in the West to watch is Colorado. I've been high on them since preseason, and they've really rewarded a lot of my optimism in them with their play. I think they made some smart acquisitions. Eunice Namley's been balling out. I mean, they got solid back, you know, they got a solid back five. They've, they've got, you know, Lalas Abubakar's done, done a great, great job at stabilizing the back line as he's done. I mean, they got rid of Kai Kamara, but they haven't missed a beat. So Colorado's my sneak team to watch. I mean, in the West, I think Portland and Seattle, it's, it's inevitable. They're going to, they're going to win somehow or some way and play each other in the next round. And I think, I guess, logically, one of them is going to make the playoff or the final. It's been every year since 2015 that's been the case. So I feel like that would be a miracle if that doesn't happen. And on the East, I think, actually, sorry, in the West, one team to watch, another one is Dallas. I feel like defensively they've been really solid, and I feel like that can't go understated in the playoffs. And then on the East, I think Columbus, as a third seed, they've been surprisingly not talked about. They've got good players. They've got, you know, Zellerin and Zardes have found some form as of late after slow, you know, a slow end to the season for them. They've got one of the best defenses in MLS. I think they can also make some noise. And I mean, I'm curious to see what happens with 
NYCFC because I was not expecting much from them this year. I mean, they lost Hebert, they lost Castellanos, uh, or not Castellanos, but Mitria, the, the, the Romanian player. I'm mixing them. I think it was, yeah, Mitria who went to Saudi Arabia in the middle of the season for no reason. They lost Hebert to a knee injury. Yet Despite that, they had the, I think it was the fourth most points in MLS and they've been surprisingly balling. So I also think NYCFC is also another you know, as a fifth seed, that's the kind of team you'd, you'd punt money on. And I was looking at some of the, the odds. Like, I think Colorado had the third lowest odds. I'd put some money on that. Portland had, like, the sixth lowest odds. I'd put money on that. Ditto with someone like NYCFC. Yeah, I mean, in in such a strange season, it's it's really wide open. You certainly have your favorites, but there's, you know, the level of parity across MLS is – is pretty good. It's you know you you've got a lot of matches where where any team can win. So expect the unexpected, and we'll we'll kind of continue to to track these matches as they go along. And I, I you know we're probably not going to do full scale match reviews, but we'll certainly kind of from round to round track what's going on. And that kind of brings us to the to the tail end of the show. But there is a there is a bit of a notable fog over. BC and Canadian soccer today because of uh, the passing of a certain legend, and I'll I'll hand it over to you, Alex, to kind of say your piece on on someone we're remembering today. Yeah, well, I think we we woke up to the unfortunate news that uh, Tony Waiters had passed away, and for those who are unf- uh, you know unfamiliar with what Tony had done for uh, Canadian soccer, he was formerly he was he applied his training in England. He was a national team goalkeeper. He was very close to making the ninety. Uh, the, sorry, the 1966 World Cup, which England famously brought it home and won. But ever since then, he moved to Canada. He got stuck in with, you know, the Whitecaps and the, the 86ers back when that was a thing. And also the can- Canadian men's national team. And he was indeed, in fact, the coach that brought Canada nas- uh, men's national team over the hump into their first World Cup ever in 86. You, you know, he brought them to, to uh, their, their last Olympics, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say in 84. Or he he just was he was there for a lot of big moments for the, that that '86 team that's kind of been the the, the standard bears for Canada's national team because since then they really haven't accomplished much and I mean it's full credit to to Tony Waiters for the interest that he drove in in, in soccer when he was at the head coach of Vancouver but also the head coach of the national team and for he, he's been you know even though it it's been a it's been a while since since all that happened it's you can't be understated the impact that he's had on soccer in this in this country in this city that we are in and uh, it was very unfortunate to see him go because we saw him as well last year when the anniversary game happened we got a chance to talk with him and meet him and he was he was a great guy and always fun to talk to so on this day we we just like to say you know rest rest in peace rest in power uh, tony waiters yeah, I got the I got the chance to meet him briefly at a Whitecaps training session last year before that anniversary match. And for someone who is up there in age, uh, I, I've never seen someone maybe who was so so ready to you know take the sideline again. Like he, you know, there's no question that if he could be out there playing or if someone offered him a coaching job, it's like, you know, to hell with how old I am. Like I'm gonna snap that up because his his passion for the game was so strong and something I saw on Twitter today and I thought was worth pointing out um, that Tony Waiters donated his World Cup qualification bonus to help found the Vancouver 86ers. So that gives you an idea of the selflessness, but also, you know, as I just said, the passion for the game. And 
it took people like that in Canada and in BC to bring the game to the level it's at now. And obviously there's a lot of work left to be done, but yeah, you know, when you're looking for inspiration, you can look to a guy like Tony to, you know, what can I do to help build the sport in this country and, and make the sport in this country more successful and more enjoyable for everyone. Uh, certainly a, a shining example of that. Yeah, I think it's, uh, he, he brought a lot to the, to the community as we, as we mentioned. And, uh, it was just unfortunate. I mean, 2020 has been a, it's been a grind and I feel like, especially the last few weeks, we've lost a few, uh, Canadian icons, especially. So it's a, it's a tough time right now. And, uh, Here's to here's to bigger and better things going and moving forward for 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 everyone. Just because it's it's been a rough it's been a rough fall. Let's just say that it hasn't been a, hasn't been a great fall for for everyone. And just hope everyone's uh, I guess on that note really pretty much wraps up our show. And I hope everyone's staying safe. Everyone's keeping you know taking care of each other and keep keeping uh, keeping the morale up in these tough times. So. On that note, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungaruzic at BTS Fan City. And again, hope you hope you guys stay safe. And I'll let Sam uh, wrap things up. Yeah, just to, to shift things to a little bit of a positive note to end off. I mean, I think we're kind of alluding to the passing of Alex Trebek. Um, my family and I, huge Jeopardy fans, uh, would you know get very competitive on the on the couch playing along and watching last night. Sports Center did a top ten of Trebek just ripping into Jeopardy contestants who like clearly had no idea about certain sports categories and the way he could be so understanding and funny yet like very passive aggressively dismissive of people that didn't know sports uh, just always brings a smile to my face and I and I hope it did the same for a lot of people and obviously a guy that will be missed but with so many good memories and I think the same can be said of Tony right it it's difficult to see these guys pass on because of the impact they had and how they brought smiles to people's faces. So, you know, be thankful for those good times. And, you know, hopefully once we get out of this 2020 fog, there'll be be many more of those special moments. So uh, you can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter, at 86forever.com, where we're having a bit of a, a gathering of the writers to discuss some of our off-season content. So hopefully we'll have some fun projects to go alongside some of the stuff we do here on the podcast and uh hope everyone has a good rest of their week and we'll we'll certainly be back again soon so thanks again and uh yeah have a good one